Hello, and welcome to This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. I'm Scott Interante, and joining me is musician, writer, all-around great person, Tara Casper, also known as Sweaty Lamar. Tara, thank you for joining us. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I am doing lovely. I'm very excited to talk to you all about uh, the music you love and why you love it. Wonderful. Let's dive in. Yes, please. Let's dive in. Let's do a little like deep dive into when when do you feel like you first connected to music? Do you have like a moment maybe of falling in love with a piece of music? Yeah, um, I would say that my really my music journey began when I walked into my uncle's uh, condo, which is like a block away from me. And I looked up and there was this portrait on the wall that I'd always noticed of these four guys with really shaggy hair. And I was like, hey, Uncle D, who are these guys? And he was like, oh, ho, ho, prepare for your world to be rocked. And within a week, I had, you know, 10 to 15 bootleg Beatles CDs. Wow. Yeah, to this day, I still listen to like the past masters over the actual mastered versions of the songs. I'm just so used to the nuances from those because I listened constantly. Yeah, so I grew up as, you know, like a typical white person, uh, grew up being a fucking Beatles obsessive. Um, yeah, that was my that was my first love. I remember watching Yellow Submarine when I was eight and uh Still, I still think that soundtrack is really, really underrated. Wow. So do you have any sort of memory of like what it was about that music specifically? I mean, look, obviously everyone loves the Beatles. There's plenty to love. But do you have any sort of like, oh, I really was attracted to this aspect of this or whatever? Sure. I mean, I remember sitting and I think it's over the end credits of Yellow Submarine, but they do all together now. And just thinking, God, this song is joy. This is what joy is. <laughs> You know, as a kid, like Yellow Submarine is a cartoon, but I wouldn't say it's the most child-friendly production of all time. You know, to start the movie with Eleanor Rigby, this beautiful, haunting song. And I can still remember the opening titles that it's set to, and it, it felt so dark. Nowhere Man, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. I could have done 15 minutes on Nowhere Man easily uh, to the end of All Together Now. And I was like, oh, probably my eight-year-old self was like, these people get every emotion I understand as an eight-year-old. And then, you know, cut to me in the fourth grade carrying around that giant silver Beatles anthology book with like a post-it note over John Lennon's junk because there was, of course, one page that just had him and Yoko naked. And I knew I couldn't bring it to school. Like, I didn't even want to look at it. I did not want to look at John Lennon's wang at all. Right. Well, I mean, hey, you know, to each their own, I suppose. So you you are a Jersey girl. You are from New Jersey. Do you have like a particular affinity for those like classic Jersey artists, Bruce, Bon Jovi? Yeah, yeah. I've seen Bon Jovi at MetLife. It was a deeply spiritual experience. It really, truly... Seeing him in New Jersey, it does have a transcendence to it. I'm not the biggest Bon Jovi fan in the world, but I had to go. It's like going on birthright for like a a New Jersey, Italo American and uh, just wonderful. I've seen Bruce in Jersey. I would say the first time I ever saw Bruce, which was at MetLife, four hours and four minutes was one of the top three best nights of my life. Just incredible. Uh, And then I met him like two months later with a broken leg. I waited in line for four hours with a broken foot to meet Bruce. Uh, Worth it. Entirely worth it. He smells very minty. It's nice. That's, oh, wow, that is nice. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I'm into like, I'm into the Jersey offshoots of these things, you know, Jersey bands that I love prawn, good, good friends of mine. They're on top shelf records, uh, Titus Andronicus. I love mm-hmm. to death. I'm surrounded by some of the greatest musicians I've ever heard or seen. And they're from Jersey. Wow. And so when you were, you know, a little bit older than eight when you were getting to the Beatles, is that a lot of the stuff you were listening to, like middle school and high school, were you or was the New Jersey core just like always part of it? Uh. New Jersey, yeah, New Jersey wove in. In high school, I was very involved in the local DIY music scene. I used to actually produce shows at the Maywood Senior Center. The mayor wanted kids off the streets, so he would just let people like me, like a bossy 17 year old girl come in and say, okay, we're booking all these acts. We're doing two stages. You know, I, I ran shows. I would, I was constantly at the Paramus VFW seeing my friends bands. I have a song named after me, uh, hands on the stereos, Tara, which is one of my crowning achievements. Yeah, I was very involved in that scene. So I have, to this day, MP3 rips of those artists' little EPs that are nowhere on Spotify or Bandcamp because those things did not exist when this music was being made. Mm -hmm. But, you know, high school, I was very much the, like, little emo punky kid listening to Elliot Smith in the school bathroom cutting class to be emotional and bright eyes and Foo Fighters, which then became a deep, deep love of Bad Brains because Dave Grohl would always talk about bad brains in his interviews. Uh, And then, of course, just whatever was playing on One Tree Hill. Like, One Tree Hill and the OC are my true gateway drugs in this life. So, yeah, that was my taste. But Jersey definitely woven throughout. Though I didn't get into Bruce until I moved to Philly for college. And then I got really homesick and decided that was the time to get into Bruce. And then got into Bruce I did. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I always felt because I'm from Long Island. And so we have like the parallel thing with uh, Billy Joel. And I always like fought against it. Like I still haven't gotten into Billy Joel. And I think I would at this point, I think I would appreciate it. I was so contrarian as a kid. I was like, no, I, I don't need to be into Billy Joel. You know, I, yeah. I love Mr. William Joel. I am. If I turn and look 40 degrees in this direction to the right, there is a poster of one of Billy Joel's concerts uh, that I have on my wall. I will try to convince you to get into him. Also, obviously, Jer- Jersey bands, Misfits, Danzig. Sure. Yes. I grew up a town over from where Misfits came from. So also in the blood, I feel like I have to shout that out. Yeah. Please get into Billy Joel. I'm deeply concerned that you're not. I didn't know this about you. I'm very concerned. Yeah, I, I need to I need to do like a deep dive. But so, of course, you are also a musician yourself and you've been writing songs lately and putting stuff out. When you do that, do you feel like there's a particular something that you're gravitating towards as a fan that makes you want to make music like that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot. I usually people ask me, what is your genre? And I always say like sad bitch anthems. A lot of what I have written and a lot of what people have heard feels very inspired by Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus, not in small part because I'm literally using Lucy's band members uh, to produce my tracks. But uh, I mean, that's part of it. But then I have a wide variety of genres. I kind of write all genres because I just write anything that comes into my head. You know, I have a lot of lyrical influences. Lana definitely is one because I am 
not into Lana as a person, but I'm into Lana as a mess. And that girl writes mess like little to no right. other, except, you know, me, because someday people will be saying, oh, that sweaty Lamar is a goddamn mess. And thank her for making it rhyme because I relate. <laughs> well, yeah. So that was something I was thinking, you know, if you're drawn to all this different kinds of styles musically, these different genres, is there something, is it maybe lyrically or something else that you find unifies a lot of the music that you love or, you know, a certain quality in a song that's going to make you say, Oh yeah, I really love this. Yeah. I need a strong lyricist. That's deeply Mm. important to me. There are songs that I love that have a lot of oohs and babies and yeahs, but really when I get impressed by a song, it's a lyric. And when I think about music I love, if I was going to get a tattoo for a band that I loved, the idea that always jumps out to me is what lyric? You know, what is the, the lyric that speaks to me? So yeah, a strong lyricist really makes a song for me unconventional writing is great. Deeply personal writing is great. That all matters to me. And that matters more than, oh, this is a great baseline. Right. Yeah, totally. It's so interesting how, I mean, it's it's like a really simplistic divide, but there really are people who are music people or lyric people. And I try to be better about it and try to focus on lyrics, but it's not my first instinct, right? It's like something I have to really think about doing when I'm listening to something. So with that in mind, what is the song that makes you scream? This is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay. I need to preface this by the fact that I know that Lana wears mesh masks and date cops, <laughs> but good God, Norman fucking Rockwell is one of the greatest songs to me of all time. And I think yeah. that she put the fucking in that song because she knew that that's the only way people were going to talk about that song. Norman fucking <laughs> Rockwell. Yeah, it, uh, this is really good. And because of things that you just alluded to and, and other reasons, I've kind of like fallen off the Lana train. Actually, the day that we're recording this is the 10 year anniversary of Born to Die. And I was like huge into that album when it came out. And I thought that, you know, she's very interesting and in, in what she's doing aesthetically and creatively and everything. But as years have gone on, I've kind of fallen out of it. And so I think I listened to this album like once when it came out and, and really never revisited it again until you said that this was the song you were going to pick. And I've been listening to it over the past few days. And it really is. It's very good. The lyrics, especially, you know, so I'm I'm a guy. Right. And I know that on the whole, men don't have a great track record, you know, like <laughs> we're, we're, we're not pulling our weight. We're not doing as well as we could. There are times where I'm really reminded by that. And listening to this song really makes me feel bad about, you know, just like <laughs> being a man. She really comes for me in this song. I mean, I, I hope not me, but but it feels like it. Well, first of all, you men are pulling your weight. You're just pulling your weight in fucking lies. But <laughs> second, well, wait, how tall are you? I'm not six foot whatever she says. I'm like 5'11 at best. She's not coming for you. I will say the number one reason that this song was on my list, because I sent you a long list and I made some changes. The number one reason that this song is on this list is because of Lana's lyric, You know, you act like a kid, even though you stand six foot two. To me, Mm. it is one of the greatest lyrics of all time, because 
who amongst us has not done some stupid shit for six two? The first time I heard that song, I I laughed. I sat there and went, oh, you bitch. Like I cracked up because I had just dated someone who was 6'2", who was a nightmare. And the song related to him so well. And I have sit the last guy that I dated was also 6'2". I think the whole height should be outlawed. Just like throw the height away, force them to wear elevator shoes, just knock a couple inches off the knees. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think she's coming directly for you. I think she's coming for those six two guys. But uh, I'm very glad that you're not because I would not be on your podcast. I would be trying to get you killed. (laughs) (laughs) I, I look, I appreciate that. I think the lyric for me that I think is the funniest or the most biting is in this first verse when she says your poetry's bad and you blame the news just also oh. the way she sings it it's just th- so like thrown off the cuff like your poetry sucks i don't know why why am i with you 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 suck you know but here we are your poetry's bad and you blame the news but i can't change that and i can't change your And same thing with like resonant Laurel Canyon know it all, which I think is such a little clever. It just it's it sings to me. It's yes, it's a song and it's being sung, but it just sings to me. The guy feels so defined. This Ugh. guy that sucks. Goddamn man child as an exclamation is so brilliant because instantly you feel that she's exasperated. You feel that she's resigned to, you know, uh, okay, this is the guy like, and resigned to the inevitability that she's going to indulge more of his behavior. It says so much in one and a half word, you know, it, it just says so much. It's one of my favorite lines of music ever. And then you fucked me so good that I almost said I love you is oh. girl. Girl, I've been there. I have been there. I think a lot of us have been there, whether it's with a man or a woman. It's like, damn, Same. you're just that hot that I'm going to deal with your <laughs> shit. You're that hot. Your things are, are that rocking. Yeah, it really is that the goddamn man child. That really is like up there for best opening lines of a song. It's really great. I, I also, you know, want to talk a little bit musically. The string and woodwind arrangement here is really beautiful. The song in general, the chords are great, but sort of bookending these verses are these swelling strings and, and at the end of the song. And I think it's really interestingly done arrangements. It's not as straightforward as it could be. exactly who it is i was trying to look into the credits i assume it's it's jack antonoff because no one else is listed as an arranger but uh it's really good and interesting and and of course she has her like ethereal way of singing that i think gives it this really passive aggressive attitude to, to all of these lyrics yeah and that's that's something i love about her arranging in general she goes with these very lush musical styles and yet has these almost diy lyrics and it's a really exciting juxtaposition to me almost every time i hear new work of hers you have this song where 
she could have written these beautiful sweeping lyrics like uh and she does this sometimes young and beautiful from the gatsby soundtrack is not a necessarily profane song it's really beautiful you could tell me that it was from the 40s and i would say oh yeah like okay this you know the themes work all of that works but this song for her to be you know saying goddamn as the literal first word of the song talking about <laughs> sex using the little laurel can you know it alls i love that she's doing something that almost like puts a smear on this beautiful music but it's real she's also letting the messiness of the situation be lifted up by a really lush arrangement, which I appreciate too, because, you know, you could say, as I just did, oh, the lyrics are making the music bass. It's dragging that down into a profane space. You could also say that life is profane and situations are messy and confusing and we do curse and we're not all these polished, you know, uh, people writing classic doo-wop singles you know we're we're messy and we're of our age and we're in the dating situations we're in and i like that she gives it the chance to shine and feel like something classic and feel like something to be taken seriously even though it's sleeping with a fuck boy who doesn't have a headboard on his bed and just has a mattress on the floor <laughs> yeah absolutely i think that was incredibly beautifully said so thank you so much for coming on and picking this song. It was great talking about it. Great revisiting. And please tell everyone where they can find you online and what they should be checking out. Hello, guys. So uh, you can listen to my music. I am Sweaty Lamar on Bandcamp and Spotify and Apple Music and a couple of other places that TuneCore saw fit to distribute that I've never heard of in my life. I don't know what Deezer is, and everything I learned about Deezer will have been against my will. Um, so again, that's sweatylamarmusic.bandcamp.com. I am Sweaty Lamar on Twitter and Instagram. Don't look at my Twitter if you're related to me. It's just, it's not a space for you, to be honest. That's where I get into my messy business. I have a song out now called Mysteries. I am very excited about that one. It is a tribute to uh, grief. It is a tribute to my grandmother. And it's one of the only happy songs I've ever written in my whole life. Because again, Lana and I are both messes of the highest order. And uh, so it's nice to have one that feels happy and that I could actually send to my relatives and not have to worry about being like, don't listen to that lyric. Fast forward from that lyric. This is actually one that they can enjoy. So yes, Mysteries is out now. That's so great. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GreatSongPod. That's G-R number eight song pod. You can find me on Twitter at Interante Scott. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. And I look forward to talking to you next time.